And welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, I'm the writer of Aftel, I Think, and one-fourth of Big Punch Studios. And my name's PJ, and I've written things. Now, 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 PJ. What I have you written? Yeah, what yeah, have no. I written? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I swear... I swear that was not where I was going. Um, what I was trying to say, PJ, is you're doing yourself a disservice. Please tell us about some of the wonderful things you've written. Oh, okay then. Uh, I've written some comics, probably most notably Stiffs, Bit of the Pride, and Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And I wrote an afterward for a volume of Afterlife Inc. one time. That was pretty good. You certainly did. You certainly did. Uh, but 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 again, we'd we'd never met until uh, until you you completely anonymously wrote wrote those those very generous works. So <laughs> <laughs> like, who's Thank this you, John guy? Why is he asking me to write this? What is going on? Well, um, I think in in the grand scheme of like uh, you know, uh, I was going to say quid quid pro quo, but I don't entirely understand what that means. Maybe eye for an eye is better. I guess I owe you some completely. Uh, completely unbiased and uh, and lovely words at some point. So, uh, you know, do feel free to come knocking. I'm keeping that offer in my back pocket. <laughs> it's either that. I can either write you 400 really good words, mm-hmm. hopefully in the right order, or it's like you get one assassination. Ooh. To be called upon <laughs> at a time of your I convenience. Mean, I'm going to have to think carefully on this one. I'm not uh, saying you have to pick now. I'm just saying, you know. Assassination could come in very useful. Or 200 good works and like a stern talking to. <laughs> or a stern talking. I can't imagine you'd given anyone a stern talking to, John. That doesn't work. <laughs> you know, I think what's really depressing is like, as I, I don't want to say like as we get older, because that's kind of defeatist. It says like, oh, you know, we're all decrepit. But as we, as we I mature. I am pretty decrepit. No, no. Again, PJ, no. We we have to nip this in the bud. We're as, we're as young and vibrant as our eternally eternally youth, youthful heroes on the page like we will last forever but what i was trying to say is as as we as we become more mature a big part of maturing is i believe recognizing your strengths and weaknesses and i have kind of realized and i'm kind of okay with it is that i will never have a threatening face <laughs> i uh there are many times where i have tried to look mean i realize that i have a wide guileless face which is forever i don't know i don't i I look like um i look like if there was a jane austen novel i'd be like the mild-mannered vicar or something like that you really would yeah i oh no i've said it now the reverend Uh, Locke. 
it would be like I'd be I'd be the kindly one who'd uh, in the kind of penultimate scene would offer some wise words about following following your true love or something, and then I I would just walk off and never be mentioned again, and that would be my life. And I would be the character who was edited out in the third draft. <laughs> no, I kind of imagine um, I kind of imagine you being like the one token normal person. You know what I mean? Because like all those books always are the thing we all forget. They're all about the monumentally rich. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and then you always have like one, one, one surly peasant in the, the background. Yeah, who you know? Because normally, like all the commoners, they they never really get a word in. But you'll have like one maybe who will say something like, "Oh, begging your pardon, Miss <laughs> Miss Bennett." You know, you know, rolling or, their eyes while they do it. Yeah, kind of. Um, kneading the hem of their straw cap that sounds like me so uh having painted that wonderful um uh word scape uh pj where are we what's what's the state of the world in the jla cast well we're in a, a bit of a strange place i think if i'm honest john uh we read the first four issues of grant morrison and howard porter's seminal run on jla and we thoroughly enjoyed them what we then did is we did not go on to issue five we decided to turn back the clock a bit. Um, JLA is a weird series. There's a lot of uh, tangential... I said that word wrong there. <laughs> well, that's staying in. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so happy. There's a lot of stuff around the edges. Let's go with yeah. that. <laughs> like, uh, like um, you know, uh, the clouds parting and a beam of sunlight descending on a nudist colony. It is tangential. Uh <laughs> <laughs> to the main plot uh but yes sorry so tell us about these tangential stories pj <laughs> i hate you uh so <laughs> there's 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 a number of them as well as the ones we uh we've said we're going to cover you'd also get things like jla titans the technus imperative you get jla world without grown-ups you get jla foreign bodies you get jla Ooh. primeval all of these things being released around the same time and in between the issues issues of the main jla comic book now pj like it again you you have this habit where you you keep saying a thing which opens like some dusty door in my head i had completely forgotten about world without grown-ups i never forget world without grown-ups because it led into young justice and that is one of my very favorite comics did that again sorry i mr history teach me did, uh when when did young justice debut was that around the same time as jla uh, it was a little after. Uh, it was during. It happened during the Morrison run. Ah, interesting. Um, uh, yeah, it comes out of World Without Grown Ups, which on my shelf is, I think, in between Strength in Numbers and um, oh, what's the volume after Strength in Numbers called? I can't remember. Justice for All. That's the one. That's where yeah. it goes on my bookshelf. <sighs> clever, clever. Um, You're so clever, PJ. How does this keep happening? I'm, I'm so, I'm so impressed training i work hard <laughs> um, but what we're covering at the moment is one of the series actually set and indeed i think released in this particular instance before jla issue one mm-hmm. we thought it made sense to start with the first four but today we are covering issue two we did issue one in the last episode you should have listened to that already uh we're doing issue two of justice league a midsummer's nightmare so pj here's my question to you because um as we kind of established uh, in the last episode, uh, A Mixed-Up's Nightmare is very much the bridging point between the DC universe of old 
and the world that JLA ushered in. Yeah. And I think we were talking about, like, there was only, like, um, a a couple of months between them. Like, it came out, this three-issue miniseries came out right before we kind of dove into JLA issue one, which was in January 1997. So I guess my thinking is, how did it, how do you imagine this series came to be? Do you think it was it a bit of a chicken and the egg thing? Like, do you know? Do you think Grant Morrison pitched his series, or and then they were like, okay, we need a bridging thing, or what? What, what do you think? What do you think went on there? Well, I don't really know. It's it, it could be either or because it very much Midsummer's Nightmare very much is the beginning of Morrison's story, even though it's not written by Grant Morrison. It very much ties into what happens. And what will happen in certainly right up to the end? Uh, mm. World World War Three, I think, is the final volume. Yes, um, right up to World War Three, Midsummer's Nightmare. The seeds planted there are, are present and 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 there. And um, there's a reference to it in the issues we've read that we haven't actually discussed yet, uh, but we mm. will get to. Um, it feels either either Morrison did pitch his series. And he wasn't available to write this this lead in series. They said, "Okay, we'll do the main series, but we want this." And can you write it? And he then went, "No, maybe that <laughs> happened." Uh, or the other way around is Morrison is just really good at picking up plot threads left by other writers. Well, that that's what I'd wondered about, like whether you know that Mark Wade and uh, oh, I can never pronounce his name correctly, J. M. Dematius. Uh, wrong person. It's uh, Fabian Nichiza. Oh, that is, no, that is completely the wrong person. Someone <laughs> who also pops up down the line. Uh, sorry, uh, Fabian. Um, yeah, apparently, yeah, just sorry, I'm an idiot. But uh, yeah, or, or as you said, that or they just made this... I don't know, I, I guess we'll come to it, but the, the kind of threat introduced in this story, I guess it could be picked up or it could, it could just be left there. I mean, I can think of countless dangling plot threads from superhero comics over the years where clearly one writer had an idea never got the chance to fully implement it so i guess i, w- I would love to know what the germ of those ideas were the, the the kind of the background thing the background menace that ends up becoming a shaping force in morrison's run on jla I, i'd be i'd love to know whether that truly originated with him or whether it was a maybe it came up at like um, a DC writers retreat, and then they said, "Can you then do something with it?" Well, it's the the the, the big threat that we're building to is is and this I don't think this is really a spoiler, but it's basically only really vaguely hinted at in Midsummer's Nightmare. It's it's present, you know, it's something's coming but it's it's really only a this might happen at some point yeah i don't know it's one of those things that if they hadn't followed up on it i don't think anyone would ever have batted an eyelid um it's just one of those comics or even long-form storytelling you know sometimes plot threads happen and they're just not picked up on ever um so it is it's difficult to know and god damn it i'd like to find out you're right sorry we should probably dive into the uh the proper thing, and maybe by the time we get to the end of the series, you know, when we've event, when when we've inevitably had, you know, Grant Morrison himself, Mark Wade, you know, when when we've had everyone involved in the series, Howard Porter on the show, which of course will happen undoubtedly, 
uh, maybe we'll finally get the answers we need. Entirely possible. Entire anything is possible. <laughs> uh, should we dive into part two? Let's do it. Okay, so uh, I guess, sorry, as a very quick recap, in our previous episode, um, we are introduced to a world that, which is kind of both familiar and strange at the same time, because a lot of the names that we would normally associate with superheroes and the JLA are living completely normal human lives, uh, seemingly with no recollection of having been a superhero. And at the same time... Um, Lots of new superpowered beings are popping to, into existence across the planet. Most of the population of the world, it seems, now has superpowers. What did they call it again? I confess, the spark. Said, the spark. Yes, people are suddenly gaining. They're suddenly, the spark. members of the band Sparks. And you know what, PJ? This town it ain't big enough for the both of us. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. Sorry, that's... <laughs> okay, so, uh, I guess, diving in, we open on Mars. And a young Martian, uh, who I believe we previously saw, uh, who is uh, Jean's uh, child daughter, I, believe, I think we established. Didn't, yes, his didn't child we? daughter. Is uh, scratching on a rock and singing or whistling. And uh, Jean... Uh, basically says, are you causing uh, trouble again? And we look up and we see that Jean and his wife are standing on kind of a rock face above them and I guess adjusting like a telescope of sorts? Well, it seems they both have a telescope. His wife is holding one that's got like a stand on it and then Jean's just got this massive telescope device slung over his shoulder, which I actually really love as a little visual there. I think it's... Do you do you anticipate? Um, I, I, do you do you interpret? Sorry, the the Martians as just being like each of them is as strong as Jean. Like maybe on their home planet, they have no real need to exercise that power. But like we're kind of looking at a family of superhumans. Well, not humans, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, I think I think they are. I mean, if if we think back to the story that comes after this, <laughs> with the White Martians showing up. If, I think this is actually said, though, those white Martians are stronger physically than Jean. So I think, yeah, I think all the green Martians do have the same level of power to some degree or other as, as Jean does. I'm just fascinated by the idea of, you know, little things like here we have this little girl kind of painting on a wall. Uh, and yet, presumably, if she wanted, she could let a laser vision Martian it, vision. She could march. Sorry, PJ. She could Martian vision it, or you know, she could just punch the planet gently, you know, and, and put it in a new orbit. Or but something. here's the thing. Here's the thing. We know that green Martians, they're the the peaceful ones. They are lovers of science and art. So I presume it's it it gives her pleasure to be going old school and and making this little scratched scratched out cave cave type painting on a rock face with a sharper rock. Yeah, I just again, this is just my the way my pedantic brain works. I just find myself thinking, it must be so hard. Like if everyone on your planet planet has incredible superhuman strength, speed, telepathy, flight, Martian vision, shape shifting, raising a child. I, I mean, like, <laughs> the world is essentially made of cardboard compared to you. Like at least on Krypton, Krypton. At least on Krypton, they the residents 
had higher gravity to contend with and a red sun. So they were kind of like, quote unquote, normal on their home yeah. planet. I'm just saying like, you know, a baby, a baby with superhuman powers throwing a tantrum, potentially a world, <laughs> a world ending situation. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe everything's just built tougher on Mars to accommodate. You have stronger no. materials for buildings and I don't know. It's, uh, I don't think it's something Martian society in that way and the powers they have ever, anyone ever really dug into actually, or, or that I know of anyway. Well, I think what you're rightly saying, PJ, is that no one in the history of the English language has ever pondered that question before, and it's probably not worth dwelling on. I mean, uh, I don't think they've done it on a podcast. No. So finally, we have found a new... And people say that art is dead. We've just found like a whole new combination of words. <laughs> Bravo. We're pioneers, um, really. Oh, oh visu- heroes, some might say. Um, but PJ, sorry, please save me from my strange brain. Uh, what's happening here? So she's doing the cave painting. Jean basically says she's a barbarian. Uh, um, but then Mrs. Jean, I don't, do we ever know their names? I'm not sure we do. I swear there have been... Pre- I, I don't think they're named here. I swear there's... Pre- if you were like a... Yeah. I, I think it has been mentioned in continuity before. But not, not in this comic, so no. I'm going to pretend it never has been. Uh, basically, they're about to start looking at Earth through their telescopes, which is lovely. Um, Jean's wife asks him to stop teasing their daughter, asks him how the view is, and he says he's got an excellent view of the third planet in the Sol system. And then he flatters her by saying it's the second most beautiful thing he's seen that day. Aww. Well, actually, she and we assume he means her. Yes, yes. He, I, he I, doesn't I... confirm or deny, so he, well, he, fair, he could have he seen is... a really pretty rock earlier. He is holding a telescope. He could be, you know, peeping on someone. The Martian Manhunter would never do such a thing. <laughs> um, but confirming my my bizarre question yeah. about Martians being capable of flight and having superpowers, uh, their daughter effortlessly kind of... It's a really nice picture, actually, with like yeah. a little trail of dusk uh, kind of floats up to join them. And I really... That, I can't decide if that's a rock or a score in the rock face next to her, but it's a really odd shape. Yeah. It's not relevant, but it's a really odd <laughs> shape. <laughs> Yeah, let's yeah, irrelevant but nice. Um <laughs> But yeah, so they're basically just having this uh, you know, debate about, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if there was life on an alien planet? And uh Jean uh drops the lens to his telescope, so he drops down to where his daughter had been painting to, you know, kind of go and pick it up. And he is greeted by the some familiar symbols painted on the rock which are superman's s wonder woman's double w's uh batman symbol you know basically the symbols of the jla which his daughter has been painting including aquaman's like almost an a but a bit too lazy to put the little bit in the middle that tells you it's definitely an a so man yeah. aquaman's symbol is so lazy I, to be fair like jean doesn't really have a symbol as such either i think on the back of his chair in uh the watchtower i knew you were going to say this it's just a picture of mars isn't it? it's just a picture of mars yeah Yeah. (laughs) i can't why do we both know that because we're cool we're cool we're so cool we were cool in 97 i was not cool in 97 (laughs) i'm not cool now (laughs) you're like a fine wine pj you've 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 aged well um i've corked 
You've got, you've got you've turned to vinegar. Can I can I just bring up something odd about this panel? Yeah. Um, and, and just reading through it, I was struck by the similarity of this image of Jean crouching in front of a cave wall with superhero symbols drawn on it to a scene in Final Crisis where, spoilers, Batman is blasted back in time to essentially prehistory, the days of like Neander- Neanderthals. And um, I believe the final shot of Final Crisis is a topless Batman carving superhero symbols onto a rock. Yeah, because his shirt was not blasted back in time with him. I don't... It's like we were talking about uh, with Superman's cape. You yeah. know, the, 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 the superhero principle of selective fabric burning. Um, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I've only read all of Final Crisis the once. I do not intend to ever read Final Crisis again. I am not a fan. I'm it's, sorry to say. There, uh, can we... Mm, it's, no, it's not... It's not amazing... There is, however, an absolute gem of a, sto- a Superman story hidden in the middle of it uh, called Superman Beyond, I think. Does that ring a bell? Oh, was that one of the, the miniseries they did around it? Yeah, the collected edition wove it in because it was okay. so integral. That is an astounding two-part Superman story. I haven't read that, no. It's fulfilling in a very odd sandwich. Okay. So I would recommend tracking that down because that that is five parallel universe versions of Superman going on a quest to find something. And okay. it's pure Morrison. That is very good. Here's my thing with Final Crisis. And I'm sorry to go off on one for a No, moment. no, let's do it. Let's do it. Basically, within the space of a couple of months, DC killed, with air quotes, Batman off twice and no one cared. That's what happened. Because he Batman R.I.P. Oh, he's dead. Oh no! And then he just turns up in Final Crisis, and he's fine. And everyone's like, "Hey, Batman!" No one comments on the fact that he's supposed to be dead. And at the end of that, he dies again. But oh no, yeah. he's back in time. And I'm just like, "What? Really? Why?" I do wonder what went on there because I think even by, I think even by Grant Morrison's admission, the ending of Batman R.I.P. was a bit rushed. I don't know if there was like time constraints they were working against or something, but he did like um. I think he did like a bonus story later, which was meant to try and like fill in, explain what kind of happened there. Because Batman R.E.P. it like finished the month before Final Crisis, and it was like, what? Just don't have Batman in Final Crisis then, or don't about- do the R.I.P. Anyway, that's can we can we talk about the real the real and most egregious thing here? Yes, T.J. Let's be honest now. What do you think of the title font on this page? Going back to Midsummer's Nightmare. <laughs> yes, going back to Midsummer's Nightmare. Get yeah, like, off his rant. Uh, it's weird. It is possibly if you ever wanted a time capsule for what um, graphic design in the late nineteen in late nineteen ninety six looked like. This is perpetu- This is possibly the most nineties thing I've ever seen. Okay, so it looks to me like the sort of graphical font. The title is to no avail. Uh, written by Mark Wade and Fabian Nichiza, pencils Jeff Johnson and Derek Robertson. Uh the font itself, the title to no avail, with it just it's purple, slanty and pointy, with shadow of the words behind it on like a big orange oval. A stark drop shadow. Very, very always good. 
There we go. Oh, always going to drop. John knows the technical terms that I do not. <laughs> um, but it, if you made that multicolored and put some random triangles on it, it would be late eighties, early nineties. Think saved by the bell. Saved by the bell. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing. It's like it, a. I I'm thinking of a lot of like, kind of gaming magazines from like yep. the 90s like you've got a weird gradient oval shape with a jarring purple font over the top it is it is actually so egregious that my brain edited it out the first time i read this <laughs> like I, I it's actually quite insulting i've just turned to... the page because looking at it for too long was bothering me <laughs> i know you started to see the forbidden colour like uh, emanating from the middle. <laughs> it's like I can't believe they slapped that on top of. Um, it's like what? word. It's like word art. What is a lovely image of Jean looking at these symbols on on this rock wall, and then you get that. Yeah. Oh, it's ugly. Oh, but yeah. But I digress. <laughs> Sorry, PJ. Say, save me from my brain again. Let's back into the narrative. What's let's, happening here? Let's cut to stately Wayne Manor, shall we? Hmm. Legs. Uh, where you get a lovely shot of the front door uh, with speech bubbles coming from under the driveway, where essentially Superman's asking Batman to translate something, because Batman's clearly just said something very complicated that makes almost no sense to Superman, and Superman's a smart guy. So that says to me, that moment we haven't quite witnessed, Batman was showing off about how clever he is. Uh, yeah, and apparently when he translates it for, you know, the the muggles in the audience, uh, he says, apparently he's been running CAT scans. Because uh, the dawn is, dawn is breaking, the sun is rising, so let's assume it's the following morning. And apparently he has spent the night uh, running CAT scans on himself and Superman. Oh, and MRI scans. And apparently uh, there is nothing wrong with either of their brains uh, that might explain what's going on. Uh, but there has been a, uh, an unusual electrical flare in their cerebral cortexes. Um, yeah, and this is one of those joyful things uh, that I love about pseudoscience in comics, just like the uh, the satellites in the previous storyline we looked at operating on the same frequency as the human brain so that Martians could brainwash everyone. It's just one of those lovely little throwaway comments to say, look, we have justified this, may not be 100% accurate, but screw you, this is how it works here. And apparently, um, telepathy, if we assume that telepathy is real uh, in the context of this universe, then uh, it does leave a trace which can be picked up by uh, an MRI scan. Because, um, yeah, I, they just base, Batman's basically just confirming that the you know reality appears to have been twisted and they've all been in a state of partial amnesia, basically. Yeah, someone someone has managed to change their perception of things, and um, the problem they have, of course, with this, as Superman points out, is that it means no one on the planet knows who Batman or Superman are. They haven't even heard of them. And I think you mentioned this in the previous uh, uh, kind of episode, but they're both kind of playing detective here to yeah. some extent. Like it, it does show that Superman is not a big, dumb, strong guy. Like, they're both working out the power, but working out the problem, but just in different ways. Like, their brains are just approaching it from different angles. And then we get this uh, uh, this pure Batman, another lovely Batman moment that we're covering here. Superman basically says, is there any connection between uh, us, everyone's view of reality being changed and 
the superpowers blooming in all the ordinary people and batman just says speaking physiologically no speaking criminally almost certainly i but just love that as a little turn of phrase and again he's he's they've kind of worked out that there are two strands to this because yeah. of one not only have not only has everyone forgotten that superheroes or the original superheroes existed including those superheroes but there there is a connection there to this strange new event which is giving people superpowers and apparently they have decided that the best way to get to the bottom of this is that they both need to go undercover so in a nice little transition he says this of course means it's a job for da 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 Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne and they are both just changing into their civilian clothes which is lovely I love that it's great yeah and you know Bruce dapper fellow he's got a big old uh, big old coat you know it's pretty flash um clark appears to have lost his hair tie <laughs> yeah he has he didn't have like an epic ponytail in the previous episode and now he's now he's just got these long flowing luscious locks well what i assume has happened here is because clark changed into superman in metropolis flew to gotham so he's borrowing a suit off bruce Ah, you know, is I my somehow, guess. You no, know, PJ, that makes perfect sense. I hadn't actually picked up on that, but of course, unless he was, I guess he could have flown back very quickly. And well, yeah, he could suit. have done that. Forgot his hair tie, he, or maybe he flew so fast when he originally awoke that the only thing on his body which wasn't made of indestructible Kryptonian fabric was his hair tie. So it kind of like vaporized while he was flying. Let's go with that. Your silence speaks volumes. Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and Batman, of course, also being a little creepy, kind of, you know, emerges that his global tracking system uh, keeps tabs on over 300 previously established superpowered agents. Um, he likes to keep track of people, and he's kind of saying that apart from Superman, uh, no one else appears to have woken up. Can we just... 300 superpowered people. That, that's the established heroes and villains. That feels like a lot. I honestly don't know what's normal anymore because... No. <laughs> I, I mean, you you and I are quite... Uh, I'd like to say we're quite, you know, familiar with the Marvel and DC universes and I feel exceptional to us is maybe not the same as exceptional to those universes. Like, if, if there was a pub quiz and it was... Saying like, how many superpowered beings are there in the DC universe? And the options were like three hundred, three thousand, thirty thousand. I, I, I would actually struggle to guess. I would struggle to say so what is I. an accurate number. But I also think if someone asked me to name three hundred superpowered characters from DC comics, I'd struggle with that too. Mm, yes, I might have. A, if I'm honest, might have a better run up with Marvel. Uh, it would still be close, if I'm yeah. honest. Um, <laughs> and again, I don't think we'd be doing this podcast if we didn't very much love the comics we're reading. But I've often found with DC Comics, the big names are the big names. They are yeah. iconic, they're brilliant, they're wonderful. And then there's a steep drop-off to a lot of D-listers. Yeah, you don't get a B or a C list with DC. Yeah. Which is sorry, weird. Sorry. It is odd. I mean, like, because they are DC. That's. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, because I think we've talked about it briefly, but you and I have both read 
JLA Avengers, the crossover. Yeah. And I think Kurt Busiek made a point of featuring every single person who'd ever been an Avenger and everyone who had ever been in the JLA. Yeah. And I think I I kind of recognize pretty much every minor Avenger. But, you know, there's a couple... Just because I think DC Comics were a little harder to come by for a while. But there's a lot of, like, those Z-list DC characters where I'm like, who the hell are you? <laughs> like, there's there's one... Like, he appears in two panels, I think, of the fourth issue. And a character, and I can't even remember his name, um, but he basically appeared in one prestige format JLA one-shot. He joins the league, and that's the only time he appears. He basically dies at the end of that. That's it. And he's in it. He has a two-panel appearance in issue four of JLA Avengers. It's crazy the number of the number of deep cuts Busick and Perez get in there, and the fact that George Perez drew every single one of them on the cover of issue three, which is beautiful. But didn't he also destroy his hand in the process? There didn't was a huge get... delay between issues three and four because issue three, RSitis. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that also explains why issue four is just Superman. That is true. That is true. Um, you do. I we do get. Sorry, I mean this is clearly a show for nerds, but we do. We <laughs> we do get. Su- uh, we do get Captain America beating on Prometheus, which I loved quite a lot. Oh, yeah, we will get to Prometheus in time, but he might be one of my favorite characters. I think we time. might have to get to JLA Avengers in time as well. Oh my god! You know we will do that. That'll be like our holiday when when <laughs> when it's getting too much. We'll take a break. Um. Oh yeah, and. Uh, children if there's a lesson here kurt busick is a dangerous man <laughs> <laughs> but a brilliant one a brain like no other but i love his i love his books anyway we're not reading kurt busick we're reading mark wade and fabian Nachiza. so sorry yes uh but yes yeah, so batman's creepy spy computer uh and somebody has gone to a lot of work to make sure that all the established heroes and villains are out of the game and batman on his lovely dot matrix printer starts running out the names and addresses of some known people. The very last panel on this page is just a shot of a piece of paper coming out of a printer and Batman saying, time for a printout. Which is beautiful. He resisted calling it a bat printout, which I think has to be applauded. Well, it clearly came out of the bat printer, so that's just implicit. Oh, sorry, it's irrelevant, yeah. like The bats bats cancel each other out over time. They don't (laughs) stack. Um, but PJ, yes, uh, once this exciting piece of paper has been extracted, what happens? Basically, they, uh, they're going to go get, apparently they're going to go get Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Um, Diana's still in Gateway City, Superman is going to get her, and uh, Arthur is in Gotham, and Batman's going to get him. Uh, Superman says, your detective work turned up all this, impressive. And Batman basically says, yeah, it's my telescopic vision. It's like needling you... there, isn't there? Yeah, a tiny bit. I mean, again, this is this is the equivalent of the um, way back in issue one, where of the main series where Batman casually, uh, where Superman says, "Oh, Batman, how strange! I didn't hear your heartbeat." And Batman just goes, hmm, "Gadget worked." Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, it's this is like, yes, I put a lot of time and effort and money into making sure that this did work. <laughs> like, it's called preparation, Clark. This is what I do. <laughs> So Bruce here sp- specifies that the list he they've, he's created is uh, basically the heroes they know they've known the longest, who they've got most experience with, 
because with the power level they're potentially going up against here, someone who's rewrote the whole world effectively, they need people he can trust. Not they, this is specifically people Batman can trust, let's be honest here. Yeah, um, and then there's also a weird thing because um, Superman points out, well, he raises the issue of Jean, do we know where he is? And, you know, they apparently know no no idea where he is because, as we've seen, he is on Mars. Um, and Superman also raises the point that they've not been able to find any of their, I guess, kind of like supporting casks. Like, there's no sign of Supergirl, uh, no sign of Nightwing. For some reason, Batman has only been able to find information on people who have formerly been in the Justice League. Uh, and Superman specifically says, isn't that awfully coincidental? And Batman says, only to those who believe in coincidence, which I think might be the writers having a pop at narrative convenience. Uh, yes, yes, maybe. I mean, they're, look, they're, they're both, you know, they're just toying out, they're just working through ideas in different ways. You know? It's a so, Justice League comic, not a world's finest comic. That's a very good point. And, you know, I hadn't even twigged in my head that, yes, of course, the point. Anyway, even even if they could find, no disrespect to Nightwing, even if they could find Nightwing, I think you still want to prioritise getting Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. what's Nightwing going to do? Hit, hit the whatever's creating this alternate reality with his sticks? I mean, they're very nice sticks. We they're have lovely to agree. sticks. But he can do everything Batman can and arrive just a fraction of a second later. Um, be happier about it. Yeah, damn it. He does enjoy himself. Anyway, sorry, but no, the two of them are now striding through the Batcave, uh, going past all of Bruce's wonderful little treasures he's collected. And um, they're raising an interesting point here where... They're talking about how Clark is about to fly using civilian clothing as Clark Kent. He's just going to say, hey, I'm Clark Kent and I can now fly. And he's saying this kind of makes him a little uncomfortable. Like he's never, you know, he, he, he doesn't really do that sort of thing. And of course, but in the fiction of this new reality they find themselves in, everyone will just assume that he's a genetic sparker that Clark has suddenly gained superpowers. Yeah. And uh, Batman says, you said you could deal with it. And Clark just goes, well, yeah, but it doesn't mean I like it. And it, it, it's a weird psychological thing for him, which I like is that they put in there that Batman often goes out using different guises. Matches Malone, uh, for example, he often just goes out. And so he's just putting on another disguise that happens to look a lot like Bruce Wayne in this instance. But for Superman, mm. it is very much a, he's either Clark or he's Superman and never the twain shall meet. Yes. And again, you get some of Batman's kind of... Well, again, like, the question that Superman raises here is almost like the ethical questions of what if our old allies are happier in this new version of reality... And I do like Batman's kind of response, where he's like, "Then we basically we slap them, yeah. <laughs> you know, we slap them until they come to their senses." Like, it, it's not because again, I, I, I'm I, I can't quite find the right word for it. It's not it's not absolutism or ever, or anything like that. He's just saying like, "No, look, Clark, we're the good guys, okay? And when reality's broken, we fix it. When a villain turns up, we defeat them." It's like. These people have a job to do. I don't care if they're happier in the new universe. We need to grab them by the lapels, slap some sense back into them, and then get them to remember their duty. 
I think it's one of those moments that again does highlight one of the the differences between Batman and Superman, um, which is Batman's essentially whatever it takes, whereas Superman is a bit more. No, I'm I'm gonna think about this and and find another find another method. Yeah, and um, you know we get a nice little meaningful look where um, Clark takes off his uh, glasses because I guess he doesn't want to lose them. Stares at stares at the reader. His logo flashes up behind him. It's a nice little picture, and uh, and then he rockets out of the out of the manor, just kind of like shooting along in his civvies. Yeah, uh, where a young boy on a bike who seems to have a lot of bricks of cocaine in the basket. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 pure it's pure you know um, it's pure pure white gold there. This is Tim Drake. <laughs> Noted dealer, Tim Drake. Anyway, he uh, he says, wow, Mr. Wayne, is that you? And then his mum calls him in and he basically says, oh, Bruce Wayne must have sparked. Yeah. So, which, which is exactly what Bruce said people would assume. Does this tie into what you were saying about how Clark has borrowed one of Bruce's suits? Do you know what? It might do. Yeah. It might do. Although Tim then must also assume either he's moving really fast or Tim assumes that Bruce's new powers are flight and lovely long hair. I mean, stranger stranger things have happened. Uh and as we transition from Superman flying, we get a weird little kind of collage of images. Uh some familiar faces and some we haven't seen before. We have um we have uh, Clark flying. We have uh, Wonder Woman, Diana, in her kind of school teacher guise. We have Aquaman looking very sad in the shower. Aww. Which is... Breaks your heart. <laughs> Poor Arthur. I know, which is a bit of like a... I feel that is like a meme before its time of sad <laughs> Aquaman. Uh, and then we also have two characters we've never seen before. Yeah. One of whom looks like a kind of Native American... Well, he's he's got feather like a headdress with feathers and like a wolf's pelt kind of thing if this were marvel that would be red wolf there would be red wolf probably but it's not marvel so it's it's legally distinct uh native american character that is not red wolf <laughs> well the thing is like you look at that character i i know what you mean about red wolf because i've got i remember those old avengers issues and it's like it's, it's like even if I I can tell I can say now with certainty that DC probably has that character as well, almost certainly. Like almost certainly, like you just you th- it's like PJ. Um, is there a character in uh, in the DC universe who can uh, you know is is Irish themed and probably sings a lot? And you go like, like yeah, probably. <laughs> like I, yeah, I mean like they've been going a long time. There's only so many ideas in comics that that probably is out there. But it's, it's the last uh, little image on this panel that I particularly love. You've got some unknown guy, white suit, green cape, gold thing on his head, uh, recreating the cover to uh, Superman's debut in Action Comics, just lifting the car above his head. and It's it's a nice little moment. What's kind of interesting about it is, is that in this new reality, while people are gaining superpowers... Not really big on costumes so far. No, this is the first one we've seen, I think. Yeah, like, it's just normally just people in their regular clothes, shooting lasers, flying and all that. But no, this guy is wearing an outright superhero uh, costume, very reminiscent of Superman. 
Yeah, and I, I love it when they recreate famous images from comics. So I'm a sucker for someone doing the uh, the action comics Superman pose, holding the car aloft, and uh, same car as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm a sucker for that particular image. But yeah, but but you know, from a reader's perspective, we really have no idea who these characters are, what's going on, why Aquaman is quite so sad in the shower. But we realise that we are kind of seeing the thoughts or, I don't know, kind of like conjured images from Dr. Destiny. Yeah, over the page we get a nice big side side profile shot of, uh, of Dr. Destiny with his big old skull mask and the tubes coming out of his head from the chair he was sat in last issue, basically saying that he... Effectively, it, it it's it implies that he wants the Justice League back, and that he has yeah. had a part in Superman and Batman realizing maybe who they are again. So, can you, um, PJ, for the for the uninitiated, what do we know about Doctor Destiny? Because he existed before this comic came along. Yeah, his uh, he. I don't know when he first appeared, but he was he's a villain who. Uh, controls dreams, I believe, or his, his powers are something to do with dreams and reshaping reality that way. And he was in Sandman as such because all the dream characters had to be. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, I, I don't know a lot about him, actually, if I'm honest with you. I think the only comics I can think of that I've read that he appears in are his appearance in Sandman and this. I, I, I think I'd always assumed that he actually had a skull for a head. Rather than, I mean, like he's got a pretty sweet skull mask on right now, but uh, and I'm sure that's generally healthier for him to have skin and all that. But um, he is stuck to this weird kind of throne, where in the previous uh, episode we saw this other unknown figure, hmm. kind kind of I assume was imprisoning him there. It was very much lording it over him. Yeah, and. That figure has been unnamed a bit of a mystery, but now Dr. Destiny makes mention of a character called No Man. And I don't mean as, like, as in negative man. I don't mean as, uh, like, Noman. I mean as in N-W... No, no. wait. K- <laughs> K-N... Jesus, what's wrong with me? So old. We're K- writers. K-N-O-W space... Man, as in a man who knows things. John, yes. Didn't uh, didn't Flash mention No Man in issue three of JLA? Hmm. Why, PJ? I think he did. Oh, there we go then. Hmm. More on that later? Question mark. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe more on that next episode. I think. <laughs> uh, but yes. But now, uh, Doctor Destiny is he's basically saying that No Man knew me too well, but not well enough. Uh, and he is apparently manipulating the manipulator. And as you say, it may have something to do with, I don't know, shaping this reality and the reason why the heroes are waking up again. Or at least leaving them clues in this reality. Yeah. Just, but he also... About it. He also... Uh... He looks these first three panels. He's t- he's stuck in this chair. There's not much he can do, but he looks pretty in control. He's got like this this grin on his the chin, 
and lower jawed, but he looks like he's smiling and he's manipulating things. But then his speech pattern in the last couple of panels does start to feel a bit desperate. He says, help is on the way, even if they don't know it yet. And then hurry, please. Yeah, like he's, hmm, it's very strange. Uh, But speaking of hurry, he said, leading statement, uh, we cut to Wally uh, running, as he does, uh, very fast. Well, maybe moderately fast. Well, maybe normal human pace. Fast for a fast for a school teacher. I'll tell you uh, what, he's probably running faster than I can. That well, that is I don't know, PJ. I've never seen you run. I'm not fast. I'm sure you're capable of running. I can go the distance, but I cannot do the speed. Well, Marathon Man No wait, that was a horror movie, wasn't it? No, not a horror movie, a thriller. <laughs> Maybe there's a hero called Marathon Man who just kind of follows his victims at a his follows his enemies at a reasonable pace until they collapse of exhaustion. I think we've just created 2021's breakout <laughs> new character. Marvel, DC, give us a call. Uh, but no, Wally is sprinting at a normal human pace towards a plane, and he almost missed it. But uh, again, knowing statement, he t- he tells the uh, hostess. Uh, I can still turn on the speed when I have to. He is sweating a lot more than you ever see the Flash sweat, though. <laughs> Do you ever imagine that, like, when he... I once saw a guy dressed as a um, Tim Burton Batman at uh, a Comic-Con, and it was in the middle of a heat wave. Oh, man. Uh, and he was wearing, like, this full-body kind of rubber onesie. And I swear it's like he had a tap in there because just this river of liquid was pouring out of his face. I... Do you imagine that's what the Flash's costume is like constantly, and that's why he needs a special costume? I no, I think that's for friction, isn't it? Because uh, he's running so fast. I, I assume that the speed force just siphons off his sweat. It's a little known fact that at the end of every f- adventure, Flash has to peel his costume off, and there's like a, a good liter and a half of liquid just kind of sloshing around in the bottom. I mean, there's our parental advisory content for this week. That's. <laughs> What the say the saline content of the Flash's costume? Lovely. Um, PJ, bring it bringing it back to uh, more of a family uh, family friendly uh, situation. Um, what's uh, what's the Flash? Uh, why is the Flash catching a plane? Well, he's he's flying to New York. Uh, the the hostess on the plane says to him, visiting friends or family, and he doesn't seem to know. Uh, he, in fact, he says, I'm not sure which yet, and he's got an issue of Green Lantern in his back pocket. Yeah, this kind of, as we talked about, this weird parallel universe version of Green Lantern where it is clearly Kyle, but dressed more like classic Hal Jordan. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, and we... Uh, Wally sits down in his seat and he starts looking at it and he talks about the dumb comic his student was reading, but it sounds familiar to him. And he thinks it's connected to the the dreams he's been having. If we recall last issue, he was dreaming basically about the Justice League's original cave headquarters and, and him being the Flash. Mm. Uh, and he managed to get Kyle's name and phone number. Um, from it was a New- simpler time. From New York Information... So, I, I don't know, a book, a dude, where do you get that? Who's New York information? Very strange. 
Mind you, I'll tell you what, I went to New York once and I didn't know how to get to my hotel. I asked to go behind a desk in the uh, airport and he went, oh yeah, just get on this train, go there and then you're in. I was like, oh, brilliant. So people in New York can be very helpful. (laughs) Dispelling any any preconceptions you might have about New York, they're actually quite nice. PJ Montgomery, (laughs) 2020. Anyway, what are the questions that people, people are actually paid to make comics? What? This mm-hmm. also ra- this get, this does raise the question that in this twisted fictional reality we're in, um, does this mean that DC Comics exist? I mean, I guess they do because they're I'm, publishing Green Lantern. There's there's no company logo on the front of the book. There's no on, on the copy of Green Lantern what he's looking at. We see the top half of the front cover. Oh, it was there is no company logo. It, <laughs> so, was, it was it was an indie. That's what we, that's what oh, it is. Jeez, poor guy. <laughs> but again, I just find myself wondering: Does this mean that someone in this universe is making a Superman comic? That is an excellent question. No, I don't think they are. Again, it's just curious, curious. Um, but no, apparently, um, no, because when Kyle was complaining about having to draw Green Lantern, oh yeah, we saw Flash and Wonder Woman, didn't we? Yeah, I don't know. So would somebody don't, don't just pull at be... that thread. Don't pull at that thread. Okay, no, 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 no don't think about <laughs> it too much. Uh, but Wally is uh, basically uh, he is determined to track down uh, the creator of his comic book, Kyle Rayner. He doesn't even really seem to know why. He just knows he he has to. He has a, he has a compulsion, and uh, and now he's super tired, and he basically falls asleep. And can we just point out he he does have a quick look at the first page of I think it's the first page of of Green Lantern story and art by Kyle Rayner, and um. Green Lantern splash page just standing there, angry, ring out, saying, "You killed Melandra. Now you must die." Which I don't know is is, is that a refrigerator reference? I was now again. I as we talked about, I haven't read the infamous refrigerator issue. Was his girlfriend's name Melandra? No, but um, I don't think so. Um, but it just I don't know. It might be a reference to that. It might not. Mm. It might just be hokey comic book dialogue. I guess he is looking particularly gnarly, which is something that Kyle, apart from a few very 90s panels, isn't really. He's not that kind of guy. No. No. So, yeah, it's, it's Kyle, but not as we know him. Or, or Green Lantern, but not as we know him. Um, but, yeah, but as Wally uh, falls asleep, we, uh, we transition to um, New Carthage, which is, which is apparently in Gotham? Question mark. Uh. I guess, but can I just say I love this sequence we're about to talk about. I, as 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 do I. I. I actually think it might be one of the best things in this issue. Yep. Is, um, uh, yeah. So again, everyone's favourite, definitely not evil fishing company, Red Tide Tuna, <laughs> and we we hear somebody going, "I'm king of what?" And we uh, we see Bruce Wayne meeting with uh, Arthur Curry, who is like in the environmentalist uh, on the board of the Red Tide Tuna, a caring fishing company. And I, I love this because it's clearly Batman's just walked in and gone, hey, you're Aquaman, King of Atlantis, and tried that as his first tactic, which I just love. We'll just go blunt. We'll do it. And I guess, of course, in this universe, everyone would probably know who Bruce Wayne is because he is yeah. a big, important man. And that's why he, Arthur gave him the time of day. And now he's saying like, oh, okay, well, you're clearly crazy. I would never have spoken to you if I thought you were crazy. I'm just going to sit here and feed my fish. Which he does. He's just 
tipping fish food, quite a lot of fish food, I think, into his fish tank, which is lovely. Yes, he really, really, really cares about feeding those fish. And he's basically saying, like, you know, oh, you know, I'm sure if we made a deal with Wayne Enterprises, it would help me feel like I belong here. And then Bruce kind of comes up behind him and says, but you don't belong here, parentheses. And we get this wonderful session. Uh, I'll set it up, PJ. You can deliver the killing blow. Fantastic. Uh, So uh, Arthur is staring into the fish tank and goes, really? Then where do I belong? And Batman just pushes his head into the fish tank and holds him underwater. (laughs) You get this lovely sound effect of sploosh. Uh, no, PJ, I'm going to have... I'm sorry, splooishish. Splu- Very good, thank you, thank you. Top marks. Exclamation point. Uh, and it, again, full uh, shout out to Derek Robertson here, because it is a beautiful page of Batman, of Batman trying to drown Aquaman. <laughs> it's so good. This is what uh, I think what uh, Superman meant about you have your methods, I have mine. <laughs> and the the it's all silent there's no dialogue and the shifting expression of aquaman going like from oh no oh oh crap i'm drowning to oh crap i'm not drowning to i'm not drowning i'm i'm breathing (laughs) underwater what and he's staring at his adorable little like underwater kingdom statue and he goes uh i remember and it's suddenly there, like he says, "Oh my god!" It's like it's like I'm awakening from a long sleep. And uh, what I and again, a, a really weird point here is that, of course, I'm assuming that Aquaman is not aware of Batman's civilian identity. See, I thought he was at this I point. I thought he was um, as well at this point because I'm pretty sure later on in JLA he is, and um, I don't. Rec- call a moment in between the two where batman reveals his identity to aquaman but maybe he wasn't i don't know but because not only has aquaman regained his memories uh he has instantly made the i guess seemingly correct assumption if given the information he has that bruce wayne isn't bruce wayne he goes you're somebody pretending to be bruce wayne who are you really and batman pulls an infamous uh one of his infamous uh vanishing moves and he's suddenly just gone out the window and says empire state building nine o'clock tonight be there aquaman rachel sorry how close is gotham to new york because well Mm. i guess he could swim it that quickly couldn't he find a river or get get the train (laughs) all right whatever train yeah i mean he doesn't have like an aquamobile does he that's never come up oh he has a big seahorse yeah if he can ride a seahorse he can ride a regular horse (laughs) so aquaman rides a regular horse all the way to the empire state but we do get a nice couple of panels of him just staring out the window as batman has already gone and then he just looks back at the fish tank and frankly the sun is starting to set by the look of it so he better Better get a wriggle on. Yeah, I wonder what he say. What he's uh, if he's saying something to the fish in the tank, like, uh, "Yeah, sorry, I just had my face smashed into you, but uh, I can talk to you now." So, or, he, or he's probably going like, "Why didn't you say anything?" <laughs> you know, did have 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 all the fish in the world have all their memories been wiped as well? Oh my god, that hadn't occurred to me. The fish knew all along. <laughs> um, but yes, but another quick 
uh, transition to an equally quick scene because we are suddenly in Boston. And a completely new character is throwing someone through a window. Basically, this guy's just touched her inappropriately, and I think that's the right response to that. Yes, and and, and so she has clearly with... I mean, I guess it could be superhuman strength. I'm going to assume it is. I think so. She could have just been naturally strong. I think people have thrown people through windows before. Um, But yeah, but we have this... um, rather impressive statuesque woman with some equally impressive tattoos and a headband to match uh has is yeah has basically just thrown this guy through a window and we've never seen her before we really have no idea what's going on but um and uh, somebody addresses her and basically and it's a man in a suit uh is it a man we know pj um we haven't seen this face before i don't believe uh i wasn't sure and i i genuinely genuinely i'm not sure whether it is meant to be the same fellow we saw when dr destiny was in his chair well because that guy was pixelated yes uh but i believe it is because i am now oh no we do see that guy's face flipping back Mm. um and it's a different hair color, actually. So he's got purple so, hair back then. This is sort of just a gray-haired dude. But I think it is meant to be the same man. Okay. Well, he's he's basically he's he's doing the Nick Fury thing, where he's like, "I'd like to offer you a job. You know, I I, I want I want you know your name is. Oh, by the way, her name is Onyx. Apparently, yep. he's he that that's all the interaction we get, and he's inviting her to channel her aggressions in a more beneficial manner." Ooh. Ooh. For the benefit of all mankind, of course. Yeah, because, you know, that's that's how you recruit that's, people. Yeah, that's good. You know, you've got to, got to help people. Not um, for the money. No, it's never about the money. Um, but no, but again, sorry, and that scene is over before it began. And where are we now, PJ? Manhattan, New York City. New York. We're both terrible at that. Let's never do it again. Hey, buddy, I'm walking here. Oh, my. That's oh, good. dear. I no. think that's good. No, that wasn't good, John. Uh, I'll just have a sip of my coffee. Okay, you do that. I'm going to describe what's happening in this comic. So we're in Manhattan where, I'm just going to go out with it, it looks like a red Iron Man. He's carrying a bus, like you do. Like um, But uh, Wally West has turned up at Kyle Rayner's uh, apartment door. And Kyle, and, and to be fair to him, I think you would be if some random bloke just arrived at your door and went, hey, I've been dreaming about your comic character and I want to come in and talk to you and I'm having weird dreams. You'd go, ah, no, go away. You would go, oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Wally forces his way in and just starts effective. He sounds insane, let's be honest. He's like, it's the dreams, Rainer, the dreams. It's your kicks, Marty. It's your kicks. <laughs> and Kyle starts reaching for his phone. Oh, you've been dreaming of Green Lantern. Okay. Yeah, and um, he's like, okay, cool, cool, you know. And, and then Wally, like, frankly, just karate chops the phone out of his hand, by the look of it. Uh, it makes the, the, the special effect noise of Sifu... Oh, God. Sifu-thap. Sifu-thap. God, someone was just going overboard on the sound effects in in, in this story <laughs> and he again he's he's going on to kyle about his dreams green lantern others 
some he recognizes but he also doesn't recognize them they're a team and kyle is quite rightly going you're um a bit too into my comic <laughs> it's yeah. not real he is coming across as a terrifying obsessed fan right now so kyle is is acting perfectly reasonably i have to say and Wally's basically demanding answers off him that Kyle doesn't have. Uh, there's, there's, he he mentions Doctor Destiny, points at a drawing of Doctor Destiny that Kyle is is currently working on, and Kyle is still I don't know why. Who are you? Why are you here? Yeah, and and he's basically you know Wally again sounding like a crazed conspiracy theorist. He's basically saying, look, there's some massive uh, connection here. Don't you understand? You know, I'm not leaving until you tell me. Uh, you give me the answers I want to know. Kyle is clearly, you know, looking for his, uh, his 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 hidden weapon. Like you know, he's thinking like, oh god, where's my baseball bat or something. And Wally, uh, who clearly just loves like a meaningful word, goes, "I have to have an answer fast." You see, you get it fast. He says fast twice, and that final word is in a red font, so you know he's serious. And Kyle says, I don't. And then we turn the page. And as Kyle says, shouts the word no, he fires a green energy blast out of his hand at Wally, who moves out of the way at super speed. Yes. And then the two of them just kind of look at each other. Well, first of all, Kyle looks at his hand, which is still radiating green energy, while Wally looks down at his feet. Yeah, and I'm trying to work out, actually, whether within that green energy there is a ring on on Kyle's finger. I think there might just There is be. the vague outline, I think, of the, the the bottom of the ring, I believe, there. Yeah, so and they're both a bit kind of shocked by this, and then uh they go and Kyle just goes, then again And Wally says, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so again, not exactly friends. I mean certainly not exactly friends, because we've seen the um the opening of uh JLA, the main series, but you know, two two young bucks with uh, you know with uh, with superpowers in a in a different comic. The two of them would now go and solve crimes together. <laughs> I do love that page actually. Just the the moment of realization for both of them, I think, is just beautifully like with Batman and Superman. There's a lot of talking, a lot of ah, oh, okay, we figured this out, and then with these guys, it's just they get angry, their powers activate, and they just go, oh hey, yep. Yeah, that's it's it. like it's like um, oh, I, I can't. I I think I'm getting a bit confused, but it's like, uh, do you remember uh, Josh Sweden's run on Astonishing X Men? I do very well. And when the team all get their brains scrambled by uh, Emma Frost, and yes. uh, and then it, and then when Beast finally gets his senses back, uh, him and Logan kind of uh, they meet up again. It's like how did you get how did you get your uh, your memory back? He goes, oh, I had a I had a, a series of Hypno, uh, hypno, uh, hypnopathic. What am I trying to say here, PJ? Yeah. <laughs> I, hypnotic. I had a series of hypnotic kind of triggers programmed into a, a scented ball of fur, which I kind of sniffed at, and it brought it brought back my it brought back myself. How did you do it, Logan? I had a beer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Whatever works. <laughs> so yeah, you can talk about it, or you can just get angry. But either way, the end result is the same. They're starting to remember. Green Lantern and Flash are back. But we don't get to see that yet. No, uh, instead we get a, I guess a kind of like, hey guys, here's what's happening in the wider world kind of moment. A special news report from 
Billy Batson, and I've never understood why a child was doing the news, but that's what he was genuinely seemed to be doing at this time in the comics. Yeah, because he was like ace child reporter, wasn't he? Which... Yeah, but on specifically on the TV. Yeah, and, and I've got to say, like, in this picture, he's not looking that young either. He doesn't look as old as Captain Marvel, but he does look almost sort of mid to late teens, older than I picture Billy Batson. Yeah, so again, he's... Uh, he's reporting on the fact that uh, across the world, people are becoming sparkers. They're gaining, they're gaining superpowers, and we get this uh, quite a pretty nice, actually, montage of just the chaos which is unfolding. Like, uh, so you specifically refer to you've got looting happening, uh, you've got superpowered gang wars, and then, and this is one I love, in Philadelphia, you have an air traffic jam because there are too many people flying. And a, a lovely picture of, like, against a sunset sky, just hundreds of people in civilian clothing flying through the city sky. It's, uh, it's quite nice. One of whom has a homemade superhero costume because it's just a t-shirt with a W on and then a, clearly a towel or something tied around his neck. Oh, yes, you're right, PJ. <laughs> Flipping neck. I'd, I'd entirely... Missed that. I was distracted by the Vandal Savage looking fellow with the uh, oh, yes. handlebar moustache kind of flying towards us. Um, but no, but it turns out that this, uh, in another nice little transition, take note, kid, take note, kids, if you ever want to have like a seemingly uh, vague, uh, amorphous montage, you can instantly transition into someone watching a lot of television screens. Yes, and uh, more news. Clearly, Batson reporting is one of these screens, but you get. Reference to thousands of sparkers. A mention of uh, Unity preventing a hijacking with an image of what appears to be that dude from the Action Comics panel holding the car aloft earlier on. Uh, something in Spanish. Uh, yes, I I'm, will just assume it is also referring to the sparkers, neither of us being fluent. Um, but this is being watched, uh, Osmandia's style, by a strange figure uh, who is wearing... Possibly the most 90s suit of armour. There's a lot of like quintessentially 90s moments in this comic from the title font to the look of this character, which I think is incredible. It's, it's a very... It's, it's a very 90s sci-fi costume with a cape. It's a bit like, it's a bit like Cable. I'm getting a bit of a, an apocalypse kind of vibe. You know, that kind of like chunky, techno-organic kind of look. Uh, but he's got some amazing kind of pink hair as well. Yeah, this is... Let's, let's, let's say it, this guy is clearly no man, who yes. Dr. Destiny was referring to earlier. The big bad. Uh, we, we previously, we'd previously seen him wearing like civilian clothing. So this is the first time we've seen him in his great big chunky, chunky cable suit. Uh, and um, he basically seems, like all good villains, he seems generally happy with how things are panning out. Like, uh, it, it, you know, like all, he's got a master plan. They always have a master plan. And uh, this is apparently all going to plan. And uh, he says, the more the path spirals out of, the more the planet's path spirals out of control, the more likely it is that the best of them will seek to right it. So no matter what happens, I win. So he's got a plan. There's something bigger going on behind what he's doing. Um, yeah. And yeah. Slight side note, I just typed 
the Spanish speech bubble into Google Translate. Oh. And it translates as... My phone just went blank. That's not what it translates as. We'll never know. It translates as... <laughs> I've opened it again. Starting tonight, the mighty hidden ones. Ah. So there you go. That sounds like a great album title. Starting tonight by the Mighty Hidden Ones. Oh my god, PJ! PJ, <laughs> yes! We just need someone who can play music. Can you what? play? No, I can't sing, no. I can't dance, I can't do any of it. <laughs> I can manage. I knew you were the right, the right man for the show, PJ, because I can do none of those things either. Excellent. Uh, but we can perhaps assume that it, a no man, we don't know what his big plan is, but it seems to be, there seems to be an element of creating as much chaos as possible so that I don't know. Something then develops out of it. Yeah. I'm extrapolating, but I'm assuming that's what he's working on. It looks like that that is the case. Uh, but we don't find out any more yet, because we just move to Gateway City. Um, now, PJ, is that where Wonder Woman normally lives? I can't I th- remember. I think so. Um, yeah. I must admit there's a gap in my knowledge there. Yeah, she. I don't think Wonder Woman is quite as tied to one city as most of the other DC characters are. Um, obviously, Batman Gotham, Superman Metropolis, Flashes, depending on which Flash, either Keystone or Central. Um, but yeah, I'm not 100% sure that Wonder Woman is as tied to Gateway City. I think it is, though, yeah. But her, um, either way, her, um, her, the school she works at is in this city, and Clark has turned up ostensibly because he wants to interview her for a story he's writing yeah and uh he then he gets in there he starts talking to diana and then he does say oh uh, i've got a confession um i'm here for personal reasons and she naturally assumes that he's hitting on her uh because oh my god clark like he is undoing his shirt like it is (laughs) such It is such a bad look. Like, I don't know what he was imagining would happen here. But because he is who he is, he doesn't even... She says, if this is your idea of a pickup, I'd reconsider. And he's like, what? No. Oh, God, no. No. Oh, look at that. I'm undoing my shirt. Yeah. uh, No, not a pickup. And then she smashes a statue that she's picked up by squeezing it. I guess the problem is that even though he is... Even though he's Superman and, you know, he's, he's... You know, he probably didn't even cross his mind that this would look bad for some reason for me even in the panel where he's going like oh no 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 it it somehow looks sleazy because he's still he's taking his glasses off his shirt is still open revealing just like a tiny bit of blue and it's like oh clark (laughs) it's not a good look there's a naivety to superman (laughs) that i do enjoy um but thankfully before uh that awkwardness can progress too far. Uh, Wonder Woman uh, accidentally shatters a statue she's holding in her grip. And she kind of is stunned by that and assumes that it's the genetic spark. Like, she assumes she has suddenly gained powers. Well, we've already, in the last issue, she did the whole backflip deflect the, the bits of tree. So I think she thinks she's just, oh, yeah, but no, I've just got the spark now. That's fine. Yeah, and um, Clark is basically saying, um, oh, no, no, you're more than you appear to be. We always have been. And we had a nice little thing where Clark steps onto the balcony and then just floats out into the air and turns. And I, I think this is a lovely panel, actually. Uh, yeah. His, his S symbol is now clearly visible 
and he just turns and in silence offers her his hand. And there's there's a, she has a moment where she's not she says I'm not sure if I can trust you. I, I, who are you? And he just says, you know, you can trust me. And she takes his hand, steps out with him. You get this lovely huge panel typing up most of this page with just just silence, just the two of them in the corner, with the moon behind them, and the in the sky with the building there. And this then is just, a beautiful, absolutely beautiful page. I have yeah. To say. And then a small panel at the bottom of the page with them just smiling at each other as she says, hello, Cal. And he says, hello, Diana. It's great. Like, it's, it's top top dollar there. <laughs> it is. It really is a beautiful moment between two old friends. Um, But yeah, so, I mean, I guess now it is, well, apparently 9pm at the Empire State Building. Isn't that when Batman said to, yep. to meet? Yeah. Uh, it's looking very bright for 9 p.m. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe something's happened to the weather or whatever, or the sun. I don't know. How, how, <laughs> how does daylight work? I don't know. Um, but yeah, but um, the four of them, uh, so Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman are now reunited on the top of the Empire State Building. Batman, the only one in full costume. <laughs> Although Wonder Woman is wearing her boots. Yes, but then she's got a, a jacket and a and a skirt. So, uh, but presumably they're all wearing costumes underneath their clothes. But Batman's just there, dressed as Batman. Yeah, and um, with you know Aquaman wearing his big old trench coat, he does look like a cosmic hobo. He really does. Um, yeah, and basically Aquaman is saying like, "Hey, I'm happy that you two made it because uh, you know me and Batman have been hanging out on our own here for a while and." It's been a bit grim. <laughs> like, neither of us is especially chatty, I would yeah. imagine. And, yeah, they, they basically... Okay, right, the team's back. We need to start working out what the hell's going on. And uh, it seems that they're already, all four of them, are, are ahead of the game here. Because Batman says, uh, this has been no dream. It's been a nightmare. And then, I, I assume this speech bubble is Superman saying, which tells us a great deal. And then in unison, Superman, Wonder Woman and Aquaman all just say... Doctor Destiny, which is something I—it's such a small little detail. It's not—it's not you know earth-shattering storytelling, but I just love the fact that it quietly acknowledges that they have been doing this for a really long time. Yeah. So, so even if you're not familiar with Doctor Destiny, I mean, you and I know of him, but we're not—you know—we don't know a lot about him. Uh, it would tell a new reader enough to know. It—it it just tells you so much in such a short space of time. Like, clearly, they've tangled with him before, and he's a dude who can manipulate dreams and reality. Well, Aquaman then specifically says that he's one of their oldest enemies. Um, again, I don't do not know how early in the run of Justice League of America Doctor Doctor Destiny. <sighs> That's quite hard to say. It turns out. <laughs> Doctor Destiny, Destiny MD. <laughs> Doc Dest. Uh, how early he shows up? Uh, uh, but clearly, yeah. They've all known him for a while. And then Aquaman points out telepathic assault, so we need a telepath. Where's John? There's that question again. Yeah, they still can't find him. Presumably because he's on Mars. And uh, Batman just says, uh, I haven't been able to find him. And Superman hasn't yet. And then he's cut off. So I assume he's trying to say Superman hasn't yet tried. Because uh, Superman's real lazy, guys. <laughs> he's really lazy. I mean, Superman could can, can fly to Mars. It would take him like a little while, but yeah. he can do it. More shade from Batman. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but then a big old explosion, 
And, you know, without skipping a beat, they all just instantly go, okay, let's get to work. Like, we've well, got to go do our thing. Be well, that's it. Superman and Wonder Woman both suddenly take off their, their jackets and shirts, whatever they're wearing, to reveal their costumes. And Superman's all, trouble, let's go. And Batman's, well, hang on, this this is a trick to draw us out into the open. I mean, we can't. And Superman's like, it worked, let's go. And Batman's <laughs> just stood there going, oh, come on. Oh, crap. <laughs> and also, I'm guessing they closed. Like, there's no tourists up here. No. No, it is meant to be 9pm, I assume. Well, it's... It, it, here's a little fact for you, John. The Empire State Building is open until about midnight. You can go up there at night to, and you'll much fewer crowds, but I have been up there at 11pm and had a lovely old time looking out over New York at night time. It's beautiful. You should do it. But it's I, open very late. I've never had the pleasure. I'm sure it would be lovely. Um, Maybe then a note didn't make it to the colorists. It's possible. Or in a world where pretty much everyone can fly, it's uh, just not that appealing. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking more about how the fact that it appears to be a glorious summer, summer's day. Oh, yeah. But... Well, there's that. <laughs> Actually, no, PJ, I'm such an idiot because it's midsummer. So, you know, the longest day. How did neither of us... Oh, my God. It took us that long to get that. I'm and I had to ass- be told. I'm going to assume that's what's going on here. Anyway, yeah. uh, so, <laughs> so Batman's like, oh, crap, you know, but hey... Aquaman's like, look, I see your point, but, you know, come on, we have to be a team. And, yeah, then the, you know, our heroes ride again. They are racing in to save the day, basically, against these kind of generic, super-powered beings who are just raising heck. And you do, you get a lovely, lovely panel of Superman and Wonder Woman flying into action. Wonder Woman having to hold Aquaman up because he can't get down from the Empire State Building on his own. I'm so happy to know that Aquaman had his weird metallic sleeve on underneath his, yeah. um, underneath his overcoat. And also, presumably, his massive hook arm was in the pocket of his trench coat. Yeah, looks like. Yep. Okay. Right. No, <laughs> that, that, no. that pocket's useless now. No questions there. Um, but yeah, so then um, we get some very superhero dialogue where it's like, it's official. The genetic spark has been fanned into a wildfire. And Aquaman, knowing a good setup when he hears it, goes, so we douse it. And then I love his follow-up. I haven't completely forgotten this teamwork concept, you know. Because I think it, it had been a while since Aquaman was in the Justice League, I believe. That's a very good point. And um, this is why I'm glad you're here, PJ. I mean, for many reasons. But, you know, you're the... Um, I feel you're the true historian of the era. <laughs> I, I try. Yeah, and and yeah, like this... We, I guess this is kind of why this comic exists in a way. It is it is meant to be getting the team back together, you know, because they've been they haven't really been the JLA for a little while, have they? No, certainly um, these characters. Aren't. I think Aquaman probably the longest of all of them. I'm, I'm I think it had been a long time for him, um, and there's a reluctance about him joining the like even even in issues one to four that we've already read of the main series. Aquaman didn't want to join. He just he ignores the the signal when they try to call him, and it's just sheer chance that he ends up in the fight against the White Martians as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and I mean, if anything, he's actually being a bit more uh, congenial uh, here than than he was in in the main series. But um, but yeah, but I mean, they they start kind of just doing what they do and beating the crap out of um, out of these uh, these 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 brawling heroes uh, no not heroes these brawling superhumans who have no idea what they're up against really 
Yeah, uh, and the league work together. That they're they've obviously got more skills. These people are just rampaging, but you can see Superman ducks a punch and returns one of his own while they. Batman takes out one behind him. We don't see Batman arrive. We just see Batman's gloved fist punch out a superhuman. Uh, yeah, like, you know, because he, he may grumble occasionally, but, uh, you know, he, he has to step in. He is a hero. Uh, and they are just having a conversation while they're beating up these people. And they're facing the reality that they may have to fight a whole, a whole planet's worth of superpowered individuals, basically. And they're actually finding they're pretty outnumbered just here in New York alone. Because while they're doing well, they do end up being surrounded. They're talking about trying to stop the problem at the source, where they can go to to fix this, and the fact that they're completely outnumbered. And then uh, Aquaman asks the question, how can we win against a big apple full of superpowered worms? And uh, Batman just says, we can't. Uh, yeah, and I, I'd also like just just before we 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 deal with the uh, uh, resolution of this problem, I would like to point out that some of the superhumans they're fighting are wearing costumes now. Yes, and some of them even seem to have uh, technological augmentations. Yeah, so I'm kind of like you know we've gone from maybe you know after a week or two or a couple of months of people having superpowers, I guess you maybe would just feel compelled to start wearing a cape. I know I would damn right on a daily basis i have to fight the urge to put on a cape so I think, you know i think i'd look good in a skin tight outfit as well well pj i mean we all know that <laughs> um but no but just as our heroes are looking uh uh a bit uh a bit kind of outnumbered um i'm almost i almost don't want to read this out loud but um superman says uh you know the setup is we can't fight a whole planet and superman goes not unless someone can quite can pull quite a rabbit out of their hat dot 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 and suddenly, a giant glowing green JCB dump truck starts picking up villains while a blur, a red blur, starts beating people up. And a voice goes, check your calendar, folks. It's wabbit season. Ah, oh, they're here. Ah, oh, the puns are here. Because who do we know <laughs> who absolutely loves cartoons and has a power ring? It's, of course, Kyle. And uh, Green Lantern off and Flash are back on the scene. And Batman's initial response to this is, this is a trick. This is not, yeah, we're being tricked. And then Superman's just like, yeah, or the boys are more resourceful than you give them credit for. Yeah, and uh, Wally and and Kyle are, are able to take out these these people with, with ease, frankly. Yeah. Uh, uh, kind, of, kind, of, kind of makes you wonder why the others were struggling. Uh, well, I think it's Kyle's power. He can... He has more ways of safely taking people out than that. Because obviously Superman against other superhumans, Superman's basically got his heat vision and he's got the speed and the strength. But when you're in a, a fight like that, there's no way to really corral them. He has to try and knock them all out. And that's difficult when there's that many of them. Whereas Kyle, you know, Wally gathers them up at super speed and Kyle just scoops them all up at once with a big green digger. I think the, uh, and of course, as we've talked about before, probably the biggest challenge for Superman is not killing people. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, it's, it's punching people just enough to knock them out without punching their head into orbit. And then there's a lovely moment here where uh, Kyle starts comparing them to the Magnificent Seven, 
of the movie The Magnificent Seven. I'm going to go original Magnificent Seven, which isn't to say The Seven Samurai, which obviously came before it and Magnificent Seven was based on, but Magnificent Seven was then remade in the last few years and that remake was terrible, but the original remake of The Seven Samurai, The Magnificent Seven. And of course, the the very the very uh, phrase uh, the Magnif- Magnificent Seven is something which is widely ref- used to refer to the JLA, and I I I don't know if this was the original coining of that, but I think um, Grant Morrison himself referred to them as the Magnificent Seven in yeah. some of like his early comments about the series, and they really are like you would struggle to find seven more iconic heroes. It's why the Justice League is this collection of greats because of these seven characters. And you get Kyle referring to them as the Magnificent Seven, which obviously leads to Wally saying, well, I get dibs on Coburn, and Kyle saying, I'll be the guy on Dash- from Death Wish. And of course, they also point out that there's only six of them at this moment. So Ooh. everyone is constantly saying, it's like Poochie, basically. When when Jean isn't on screen, everyone should be asking, where's, where's John? Where's, where's Poochie? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so uh, the, the threat is over. And they all start comparing notes, basically. Uh, and uh, the boys have also worked out that it's Dr. Destiny. Because Kyle was drawing him in a comic. Uh, which is make, makes as much sense as anything, basically. But they also say how they're starting to forget this reality. As, as, they're the, as real life reasserts itself on them, the reality they've been living in for the last however long is, is starting to fade from them. Hmm. And yeah, because uh, Aquaman says, you know, look, this is, I barely remember what I've been doing for the past week. Uh, and they're all just saying, well, look, where's, where's Jean? Where's Jean? Where's Poochie? And uh, they're saying like, well, he's probably on Mars. And this, uh, Superman looks at Batman while this conversation is going on. Then he looks at, like, I guess, out of the page. And I assume he's using his, his telescopic vision to look at something. And now he just kind of rockets off panel uh, Say, to saying no, not exactly. So he's clearly found Jean because, and I love this. And then Flash says, "Take it, Jean. I'll want to be Yul Brynner." And I'm assuming that I guess one nice thing on this page, which I kind of missed on the first read through, is the implication that Batman and Superman are having a completely silent conversation just yes. through knowing looks at each other. Yeah which I guess kind of puts some earlier comments into context. Well, Batman, he doesn't move at all. If you look at the top four panels, everyone else is moving, looking around, talking to each other. Superman's sort of just looking at the group, then looking at Batman, then looking away. Batman is just stood in the corner of the panel looking at Superman the entire time and not saying anything. (laughs) And then the final panel, the only change for Batman is he's looking up as Superman takes off. And I think that's a little smile on his face as he's like, yeah, Superman, I was right. A tiny little smile. So anyway, we cut to what is definitely Mars. Absolutely, 100% Mars, uh, where uh, Jean and his family are still kind of staring through the telescope. And um, to his absolute horror, the night sky begins to rip. Can I just point one thing out here? Ah. Uh, I don't know if this is a mistake or if it's intentional, but the first panel, Jean and his wife are talking to each other. Sorry, Jean and his daughter. And um, you've still got the little pointy brackets around to indicate they're speaking a foreign language as john starts to see this weird thing in the sky he shouts sacred one it cannot be but there's no pointy brackets around it so is he suddenly shouting that in english oh my god pj i don't know 
<laughs> um uh maybe i don't know well, um, well we'll get back to this in a second uh because yeah as you say the night sky seems to be tearing apart jean shouts to his family to get inside and then superman tears open the night sky revealing a sunny day above oh look jean was in a warehouse yeah um if i can mention something very quickly pj and i'd like to check your encyclopedic brain here mm-hmm. now in the martian language and culture Horonmir. i recognize that name uh i i believe Horonmir is um like to martians how the same way we would exclaim oh my god i think Horonmir is is essentially a martian god yeah doesn't think... isn't that like one of jong's go-to kind of yeah curses like when he's hurt or sees something shocking he does shout like great Hronmir doesn't yeah. he yes cool 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 I wasn't in my head I was thinking about when in uh, Sandman when Jean met Dream and he yes. called and he had a name for Dream which I think I can't remember but may become relevant at some point but uh, yeah yes. I wasn't sure if that was Hronmir I couldn't remember for a second I don't think that's Hronmir I think Hronmir is, is, is a separate entity in the uh, Martian culture uh, yes, but uh, you're right. Sorry, PJ. Uh, the sky is uh, torn open, and we are actually in a warehouse. And we get a a, a really nice picture of uh, Superman and the JLA standing framed against the, the sky, kind of looking down at him. And uh, Superman tells him he's been dreaming, that he's not on Mars, and Batman starts filling him in on his history, basically saying, you know, you were pulled to Earth, you've... You done this you've done that you're this guy you're actually in roswell it's clearly area 51 um and we've come to set you free but jean doesn't want to be free yeah i i'm guessing it's the implication here that the government has kept jean in like a kind of hologram or something uh i don't think it's the government um I think this is just an extension of what No Man and Doctor Destiny have cooked up together, something they've done. But it's quite interesting because if that's the case, it kind of suggests that while he has, while Doctor Destiny has certain powers to, you know, alter memories, change reality, he apparently was not able to just send Jean back to Mars. No. Um, they had to go to some effort for Jean. And then this, this conversation uh, that between Jean and Batman then, where basically Jean has a whole monologue about this reality is real enough for him. Earth isn't his home, it's an adoptive home. This is his family. He, he says this, this, this beautiful little moment, the Martian language has 12 words for husband, 14 for father. Hearing their music again has been a siren song. The whole conversation, though, does say to me that Jean has always been aware this wasn't real. Real. His mind was never changed, which is why I suspect the uh, shout on the previous pages in English is not a mistake. It's a way, small sign that Jean was aware all the time. And I guess he is a telepath, of course. I guess you know, and and a very very strong one. Like, I, I guess, yeah, it, it would take a lot to actually fool him. And, it, and yeah, it does kind of put everything into perspective. Like, it just means, like, he was... He knows it's a lie, but as you say, he was he, he's just happier here with his long-lost wife and child. Like, there's always a great sadness to Jong's, Jong's character. Yeah. And, you know, the JLA is in many ways his adoptive family, but it's brought up many times that he lost both 
you know, his loved ones and his entire culture to be there. Yeah, and he he chooses them. He chooses. He knows they're not really his his wife and daughter. There's some kind of facsimile or, or some psychic projection, but he chooses them. He yeah. he says, "I'm I'm going with them." And then when his wife asks, "Who who are these weird? What is going on?" He basically just says, "Look, they're echoes of friends I will miss, but never should have known." Yeah, I guess it's why because again. Obviously, Superman and John have a lot in common, and I think their friendship is is one of the things I really like from the series. But I guess the difference is, is that Superman lost Krypton as a child. Like he, in in many ways, his loss is quite removed. He never knew it to to really feel the loss as badly as John did. Like John was alive on his on you know as an as an adult on his home planet. It just makes it more kind of tragic, really. Of all of the Heroes with tragic backstories in the Justice League. Jean is the one that is aware of having lost the most. Uh, and that does inform his character. There is there is a tragedy, as you say, to the Martian Manhunter always has been and always will be. Yeah, and I guess it's why he is such, in many ways, such an integral part of the JLA, because, you know, for, for many reasons, they're all he has. like, And they have been his families for so long, so I guess kind of seeing them him reject them here is is quite a, a striking moment for the character and um yeah it's a real there's a sadness to this page and and john even says to batman you know what would you give to have your family back and batman says anything yeah he gets it yeah yeah it's... which is why batman doesn't slap him in the face uh, y- yes no that that is that is good because I, I wouldn't put it past him normally you know, if 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 the situation demanded it, but no, he's he's kind enough to to let it go. But but just as the just as the JLA are kind of pondering as as to you know the the implications of this, there's a massive rumbling and shaking, and and rocks start to fall from on high, and we cut to, well, some some new characters, some new, some not, <laughs> uh, kind of um, blasting uh, us. Towards, so it's, uh, it's yeah. Unity and Onyx who we've uh, had small uh, meetings with earlier in in the book, and they have some other characters with them, and they are attacking the Air Force base, which is bad. Yeah, and uh, I guess kind of outright outright wearing superhero costumes now, like something which hadn't happened before. Like uh, Onyx now has a costume. Again, we've apart from like a couple of clips we've certainly not seen unity or heard anything from him up until this point so but he's very clearly the superman character he is the bright shining sun god hero yeah so he's he's blasting energy rays out of his eyes onyx is throwing big heavy things Uh, green lantern creates a shield to protect the league and um they've also got a big purple brutish thing that unity refers to as behemoth yeah, uh, and I guess this is this is the only thing that kind of it it, it kind of I, I, the transition here to what's actually happening to the kind of aircraft hangar is maybe a little unclear at first. At least it was to me. But um, we realise that Zhong's home, however re- uh, however unreal, is exploding. Just before we get to that, though, John, something I've just noticed for the first time. Oh yes. Unity refers to Vigil and Behemoth. Now Vigil 
is the Gotham vigilante in this reality. He was mentioned in issue one. There he is, stood oh, to the side yeah. of a hangar next to a van. Just yeah, in the I, background there. I had not noticed that either. Yo, and again, we've we've only heard mention of the vigil. We haven't seen him. But no, as you say, a very Batman-esque kind of character in long flowing black robes. So anyway, we yeah, the uh, the warehouse aircraft hangar place is on fire and Superman hears a terrifying, horrifying, inhuman scream. And, of course, uh, Martians are vulnerable to fire. And I guess what's interesting is that Superman can hear the scream, but Flash can't. It's, uh... There's explosions happening, they're very loud, and, I don't know, maybe Jean's scream is at such a pitch that, uh... Only superhearing uh, can hear it. Only superhearing, yeah. And and I guess kind of we see we suddenly see Jean holding the the dead bodies of his wife and child as flames burn around them. So this is this is where it's not a hundred percent clear on the page what's happened here, but this is where part of me suspects that these facsimiles were psychic projections maybe that dr mm. destiny manipulated somehow jean's own telepathic powers to help create but within that then is the weakness to fire because that's something jean would assume they had and it's not 100 percent clear how or why but jean just lost his family again yeah and as he's holding them he begins to change uh change uh shape and he's reverting to a form that's more familiar to us. And the Justice League kind of look on as Jean emerges from this burning warehouse uh, as the Jean we kind of know and, and, and are familiar with. And, and he, it's all in silence and he looks absolutely, well, I don't think Pisk does it justice, but <laughs> it's, it's a whole splash page, this, of Jean walking away from this burning building flames all around him and that is an angry martian manhunter yeah and the magnificent seven are together again suddenly uh and jean demands answers like who did this who did this and we see well we see the bad guys we see the opposing superhero team who are ready to rumble i guess yeah straight away unity takes credit that we did this you've awakened too soon we're here to fix that yeah and and oh you don't want to take credit for killing john's family yeah and so pj try and like describe who we've got here because of course there are seven of them seven of the justice league seven of these dudes uh some we have seen and some we haven't so you get Unity, who we've we've discussed. He's got the white costume, green cape, Superman analog. Onyx, who is now wearing a weird metallic cos- costume, um, doesn't really make much sense when you look at it. But I'm there guess- it is. I'm guessing very much the Wonder Woman analog. Yeah, uh, Vigil, who ha- seems to have a red costume with a black like stripe thing on his face in a black cape behemoth who's a big purple brutish thing and then three people well we've got the um native american hero we saw previously uh 
that's all we really know there. A woman in a green costume who looks like she's ready to run, so I guess she's the Flash type. I'm, I'm, I guess she's. I guess she's the Speakska. She's the she's the Zum. <laughs> the Zoom. Zoom. <laughs> and then um, Tombstone oh. in army fatigues with a big gun. Yeah, a weird, yeah, who weirdly because I, I, again, this is me thinking like, who are the archetypes here? This is what we talked about with the Hyper Clan, yeah. you know, and how they are the Hyper Clan light in a way. Like these are the quintessential. If you've got to put together a one-off team of villains who we're probably not going to see again, I would wager. Uh, you've got to have a strong one. You've got to have the Batman one. You've got to have, you know, the woman. I'm sorry, but that's generally how it is. There's often just the woman. You've got to have the quick one. But then you've got some weird kind of like archetypes where you have this utterly grey scale guy with a gun. So I guess he's the gun guy. I mean, that was the thing in the 90s, wasn't it? You had Bishop on the X-Men and, and Cable with X-Force. Um can't think if the Avengers really had a, a, a techno gun guy, but I'm sure there was something. Yeah, I know, racking my brains. Can't quite think of one, but there it, probably was. It's a very... It looks like a Jim Lee character of that era. Yes. It, I mean, it's it, frankly, it's charitable to call him a superhero. Like, he could just be man with gun. Like, yeah. his, his costume is very much just uh, a, a uniform. And and yeah, and I guess there's kind of like a Hulk esque character as well. Uh, yeah, big, Behemoth, I guess. Big purple hulking creature. Yeah, and there we go. I mean, and the and then the JLA respond in turn, and we get like a great big hero shot of the Magnificent Seven all assembled. You get Jean and Superman hovering in the air, and and Jean is spoiling for a fight here. He's leaning into this and. He is ready for it. Flash is running into action. Green Lantern brandishing his ring. And Aquaman, Wonder Woman and Batman are there. And yeah, like, you know, this is this is pure comics, baby. Like, I, if I didn't know any better, PJ, I would imagine we're about to have a great big fight between two superhero teams. Well, we're not going to find out just yet because there's a caption here and it reads to be concluded. So that is the end of the issue. And there we go. Woucher. So, PJ, I guess... Um, what what are your thoughts uh, as we complete the second chapter of a midsummer's nightmare um it's it's weirdly restrained um i think it the the main focus of this issue is the league realizing they are the league and getting mm. the band back together um and those moments are i love those moments i think the the batman aquaman one is fantastic i love that so much it's so much fun uh the wonder woman and superman one is just lovely it's done beautifully mm. And Kyle and Wally, that's that's great. That's so that it just gets all six of those characters and their relationships to each other, and and who they are and how they work down so well. And then that ending with Jean is just tragic. I, um, I yeah, sorry, PJ. Yeah, it's uh, it's heartbreaking what Jean goes through at the end there. It's it's interesting to me because I I think um I think I mentioned in the last issue that like I hadn't. Like the first chapter didn't quite, uh, didn't didn't quite grab me. Like I I, I very much appreciated what it was doing, and I, I I definitely admired how it really sold the central concept. Like it didn't you know kind of half ass it. It's like look, these people have forgotten their heroes, so we're going to spend an entire issue with them in that state of of being. 
Um, in many ways, I think this second issue, uh, it kind of grabbed me more. And I, I think that is possibly because uh, it has more... I feel like, oh, I need a better word. We need a better word in general than cinematic, if you know what I mean. Because yeah. um, I think that does... It does comics a disservice to say that good comics are cinematic because they're not. They're they're good comics. They're a perfect example of the medium. But we mentioned you mentioned the Batman and Aquaman moment, like that is great. Like that is objectively wonderful. I think, and it's done with for the most part with very minimal or no dialogue. Like yeah. that is just very good storytelling, and the artwork is fantastic. And I think the same goes for the. Um, the, Super, the Superman and Wonder Woman moment, like definitely just absolute standout moments of quite beautiful little storytelling that does a lot with few words. And it's it's all in the expressions uh, on those pages, like the 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 moment of realization on Aquaman's face when he's in the tank, and you get the panels as his face changes. Um, I think you went through it really really nicely as as we were talking about it. But then on the Superman, Wonder Woman, their smiles as as Wonder Woman realizes who she is and who he is are beautiful. And those two pages are both um, Derek Robertson, but I think it was Jeff Johnson does the Flash Green Lantern one, and the humor on that one I think he captures perfectly as well. Just the the moment when they both realize who they are is really I, funny, and I, I and I think that's why you know this is i think it's, it's those little moments that i think kind of really sell why these are the magnificent seven yeah why there are countless 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 um clones of these characters and i mean that in the nicest way that's not i'm not trying to be insulting to anyone who's ever had a superman character because i've had them you know yeah. i have tons of teenage superheroes i've created and they're just they're, they're archetypal you know it's very hard to create a superhero now who doesn't pay homage in some way to an existing character but there's a reason why say the scene between superman and wonder woman has weight whereas it wouldn't have the same weight if it was the meeting of strong man and strong woman who <laughs> were just kind of flying because on the face of it it's just two people who can fly meeting each other like it's not a big deal but there's something mythic about it, which is what what really makes it work because these characters do have a history. It's what makes them special, you know. It's not the same as saying, oh, you have to have read 500 issues worth of continuity to get these characters. It's en No, it's not saying that. It's, it's enough to simply know that they have a history and they respect each other and they're old friends. And that, that's, that's what makes these characters, well, it makes, it's what makes them special, frankly. And it's something that I think in particular Mark Wade does very well, is he's one of those writers who is so aware of the history of what's happened in these comics previously, who these characters are, and he knows how to get that across without making it an info dump. Mm. And I think it's something he's really good at. He always has been, and, and it's something he's done in other books as well, but it works particularly well in this book in the context of, of the story that's happening, in that they don't remember it until they do but the moment when they do is just so clear and so crystal who they are it's done so well and 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 uh, another thing that kind of struck me is that you know because obviously going into a midsummer's nightmare completely blind uh, i think one of the things i initially found jarring was hearing these characters who i'd, I'd known and loved so so much and so well from the main jla series it was quite strange to me to hear them speak 
in a different voice because yep. somebody else was writing them. And I, I think I always find that, that that a little jarring just because I, for me, Grant Morrison's versions of those characters was the quintessential version. And, and I think um, it's interesting that I think the moments that kind of shine for me in this issue are when, in a weird way, they step back and there's less speaking and they just let the characters, their their kind of their actions tell the story. And I think also I'm getting used to now kind of hearing a slightly different voice in my head. I'm getting a bit more familiar with it. I think the one of my particular favourites in this book is Flash and the way he's done. But I think that's because it's Mark Wade writing the Flash. Yeah. And it's like it's like a comfortable glove. Like exactly. Just, yeah, it gets it perfectly. Exactly. And this it's the relationships between the characters and, and how all that works, it's all done so well that you forget that this issue is the reveal of the villain. <laughs> yes, that is a very good point, actually. I think you can spend and I you know, really, I, I haven't read the next issue. I don't know how this concludes. I can make guesses. I guess someone like No Man he's it's not really who he is. I imagine it's what he represents for this story. Like he serves a purpose, and I think the fact that we don't spend a lot of time with him, it doesn't necessarily matter, because I'm perfectly happy to spend time with our heroes as they yeah. unravel this mystery. Yeah, No Man is, um, as far as I'm aware, Midsummer's Nightmare is his only appearance. I don't think he's ever appeared anywhere since then. Certainly he was created for this series. Um, so... But I think that's you know they I think there's an element of if you had a big name villain if this was Lex Luthor, that would be a huge part of the story. But this yes. story is about the League, and so having this new character come in where all you really need to know is this guy's powerful and he's got an agenda, we'll just get that put across very quickly and very simply. That's all you need. You just because this is a League story, it's not a bad guy story. I was I was going to say actually if there's one. If there's one scene which um, uh, kind of took me out of it ever so slightly, it was when the, the, our heroes are fighting those superhumans in in the middle of New York. I mean, because that yeah. is ostensibly our action scene uh, for a series which, as you say, has been quite restrained so far. There hasn't been a lot of action. And I, I think this speaks more to just the the occasional like sliding power scale of our heroes yeah. in a way because i think because the main jla series went so big you know it really just lent into it and and you know the fact that we've just come off seeing the heroes fight white martians which i know chronologically is after this but that was kind of my jla in a weird way like those kind of really absurd levels of power and, you know, kind of flash punching someone into orbit and all, 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 all that. So I guess the one thing in my head was I couldn't really imagine that our heroes would have any trouble with these, with these, uh, with these kind of generic villains in the city. I think there's, it's an element of it's supposed to be numbers. That's what's against them here. And I think if you had like a George Perez drawing that page, it would be the JLA against a city of of superpowered uh, yes that is characters. a good point because um, george perez is a is a is a true superhero who, yeah <laughs> who is apparently um 
more than comfortable with drawing 400 characters on a page. And yeah, don't get the, the action beats in it are are great. The little moments you see with with each hero in the fight, they're done really well. But you don't get that sense of scale to it or the numbers. I think um, would be my maybe criticism of how that scene is handled. Um, it, it you know you're going to get an action scene in a Justice League comic. That's I, almost there's almost an element of we need to have an action sequence in here, and it's a way of bringing. Green Lantern and Flash into the into the team for the rest of the story mm. to have them appear and show up. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do agree with you. I, I, it's it's the moment where you're like, oh, we're just mm, we're in the fight now, and I want to get through this bit to the next bit. And I think this is again, I think this is very much me being very pernickety. Like I I don't want to <laughs> I don't I really don't want to hold this against the comic because I think it's more just I've been spoiled by yeah what I've been immersed in up until now. But it's like when uh, when Grant Morrison was writing uh, New X-Men. I remember someone commenting at the time, and this always stuck with me, that he wrote Emma Frost in a very particular way. Yeah. Like, she was the somewhat bitchy, like most aristocratic queen bee you could imagine. And I think I'm, I, someone said this, and it always stuck with me. They said, he almost spoiled the character by doing such a good job of writing her. Because he said it almost made it impossible for anyone writing her afterwards to quite match that level of just sheer snark that she brought to the table. And yeah. I, f- I feel that's a little bit hit with this kind of fight scene here where it's like, for me, this is all the characters at like 95% what I've come to know <laughs> in the main JLA series. But again, I, it's an embarrassment of riches. I, I think I've just I've spoilt myself by what what has come before. Well, look, we've got one more issue of Midsummer's Nightmare, and then we're getting back to Morrison and Porter. So you've got that to look forward to. I do, I do. And again, I don't want to. I'm not trying to be that guy because I am actually enjoying a Midsummer's Nightmare uh, a lot now. It has. I have definitely warmed to it. But again, I I am I am the spoilt child here who is going. No, 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 no. I want what I know. Thank you. Don't, th- don't, don't bring me new things. I think you'll like where issue three goes. There's some interesting stuff in issue three of this, and I, I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you think have, is there is there any scone we've yet to unturn? Do you think? I don't think so. I think this is an issue about the the dynamics between the characters in the Justice League, and it does that really well the the writers and the artists working together absolutely on fire in terms of the character relationships and the interplay between them um and for that i love it oh yeah no and i have to agree like i said it there are some truly great moments here and some truly great character moments not a lot of not a lot of mindless punching as you say a lot of restraint yeah a lot of heart it has to be said you know really get into the core of what makes these characters work and uh, oh yeah, and by all accounts, it looks like there is going to be a good, a good bit of punching in the next issue. So oh yeah, we get some action in issue three. I am very much looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, PJ. Uh, on that note, um, should we uh, should we wrap things up? Why not? Um, it has been a pleasure as ever, PJ. Um, if people enjoy hearing your thoughts as much as I do, where where how would they find you online? Uh, they can find me on the twitters at pj montgomery uh and if if you want to look at photos of my big fluffy cat uh you can join me on instagram where i am pjm underscore 82 or 1982 i forget <laughs> it's i um 
I have a link. There's a link to your Twitter in the description. Not a link to your Instagram. Well, you can find my Instagram through my Twitter. That's fine. There you go. What more do you want, people? We've laid out all the clues. You can work it out. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and likewise, you can find me on the Twitters uh, at John Locke Comics. Um, I guess we should give a shout out to uh, Gavin Mitchell for drawing our amazing cover artwork. And uh, Elliot Red for composing and performing our rather fantastic theme tune. And PJ, the king of the sign-off. How do we end this episode? Stay in school. Stay in school.